Well, good morning to you. Glad to see everybody here. You know, ever since the beginning of 2024, and even in the process of our family arriving here in August, there's a word that's kind of been rolling around in my head. And that word is the word risk. You can imagine what was rolling around in my head as we um, were even approached about the possibility of coming here. Risk. What you know you've got in your hand versus what you don't know that you're walking into. I've been thinking a lot about risk and risk-taking recently. I've heard it said in church circles that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. You know there's a lot of truth to that. We Americans like to think of ourselves as risk-takers, don't we? The people who wanted to play it safe, they stayed home in England, right? You see, it was the risk-takers who left their homes, left their families, ventured far across the ocean, trusting their lives to a very, very uncertain fate. It was the risk-takers who filled Independence Hall in Philadelphia in 1776 to declare independence and declare war on the most powerful nation in the world at the time. It was the risk-takers who pushed away from their homes on the East Coast and started venturing west in search of a better life. It was the risk-takers who invented the machines, started the businesses, cleared the land, that provided for them when they got to Ohio, to the Great Plains, and then all the way west to California. America historically has been a nation of people who say, so what if it's never been done before? Let's do this. We have a lot of sayings in America. One of them is, no risk, no reward. But gradually, over time, we've become a nation of risk-averse people. And it's especially true in how we raise our kids over the last 40 years in America. Maybe you've noticed this. You've probably heard the term helicopter parents. Anybody know what that is? Helicopter parents are moms and dads who constantly hover over their kids just to make sure they're always safe. Helicopter parents would do stuff like before their kids are allowed to play outside. They have to go through a 20-minute safety routine of sunscreen, sun hats, locking the gates to the fenced-in backyard. And then the parents would put out several reflective cones in the cul-de-sac to remind people to drive slowly in case the kids figure out exactly how to open the gate, right? Now, I know what you're probably thinking, well, that's certainly not me. I never thought that would be me, but of the two of us, I became the helicopter parent. But seriously, would any of us parents admit that we're the kind of person that would hover over our child trying to make sure that they're kept safe from any kind of pain, any kind of stress, little test for you. See if this is you. We'll call this, you might be a helicopter parent if. You might be a helicopter parent if you stay up until 11 p.m. rewriting your child's English essay because you just know they could have done a better job if they weren't quite so tired. You might be a helicopter parent if you have a bad back from stooping down and running around after your toddler's every single step just so they won't fall. When your child is disciplined at school or gets an assignment in late, you negotiate with the teacher to make an exception for your child. You put every known piece of safety equipment on your child before they ride their bike. You could safely wrap your child in bubble wrap before they got on, you would. How many of you folks remember riding your bike down the hill, no safety equipment, no shoes, no nothing, buzzing down the hill, getting cracked in the shin with one of those, uh, you know, pedals with teeth on them, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, that was, that was kind of how I was raised, too. You know, all of those confessions, they're real confessions from helicopter parents. 
This is what they do. But the interesting thing is, teachers have come up with a new term to describe parents who mow down obstacles that get in their kids' way and create stress for them. Do you know what they call them? Maybe you've heard this. They call them lawnmower parents. A teacher posted something on Facebook that got thousands of likes. She tells the story of a kid that was called down to the principal's office because a parent stopped in to bring their kid something they forgot at home. Very typical thing that happens. Teacher expected that maybe it was the kid's lunch, maybe it was their inhaler, maybe it was their homework. Instead, the dad, who was wearing a three-piece suit, was dropping off an expensive water bottle filled with purified water after receiving repeated texts from their kid. Now, there are water fountains all over the school. This kid was not going to die of thirst. But this kid repeatedly demanded over and over and over again in text that his dad bring him this specific water bottle. So dad dutifully complied. I give you the lawnmower parent. People around the country responded to this Facebook post. One teacher said that a parent of a high school student asked her to walk her son to class. Now, now get this, just to make sure that he wouldn't be late. Another teacher said that some parents requested that someone from the cafeteria literally blow on their third grade child's hot lunch to cool it down for them. <laughs> yep. You know, we have so redefined things in America that anything that might be considered a bit unpleasant is now seen as unsafe. Have you noticed this? Things like an unpleasant statement or an unpleasant experience or an unpleasant consequence all deemed unsafe. The idea here is, if it's unpleasant, we shouldn't have to deal with it, and neither should our kids. But the problem with that is, by removing all unpleasantness and all risk from life, we significantly impair people's resiliency, which is essential for success in life. Researchers have found that in order for your immune system to work in a healthy way, it actually requires exposure to real threats. Now, I know we've got a bunch of medical uh, professionals in here, so if I get anything wrong, feel free to come and see me afterwards. Or you can email me if you'd rather not. You see, our immune system is a miracle of design. But in today's world, we think that people do best in sterile environments, right? So we run around making our homes like pseudo-hospital operating rooms, running around wiping everything down with antibacterial sprays and gels and such. You know, comparatively speaking, our, our ancestors, they lived in total filth. Have you ever paid attention to this? Dirt, bacteria, disease was everywhere. They didn't have alcohol wipes back then, believe it or not. Now people struggle to fight off bacteria. So what am I getting at? Well, here's the general idea. Some risk is good for us, and it's good for our kids. And not only is some risk good for us and for our kids, but some risk is good for us here at MPNAS as well, collectively, as a church. Folks, we need to risk. We need to risk if we're going to continue to be instruments of God's kingdom purposes in our changing community and in our changing world. Over the last couple of weeks, we looked at two figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Rahab. Both of them showed us faith in the face of changes in their lives, significant changes. This morning, we're going to look at Abraham's story from the 11th chapter of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 9, just a couple verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Keep those pages turning. Love it. 
Hebrews 11, 8 and 9. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. You may be seated. You know, when it comes to faith, you probably know this about Abraham. Abraham is the Bible's model of what faith looks like over the course of an entire person's life. So many people want to be leaders. And they try to train others based on something that they recently read or they recently heard or recently saw someone else do. But leadership, in my experience, is more caught than taught. We reproduce what it is that we are. The reason we look at Abraham is because he is the role model of faith. See, if you want to understand what faith looks like over the course of someone's life, you can start by studying the life of Abraham. He's revered by all three of the major religions of our world, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, as the father of faith. Paul says in Galatians 3.9, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in Romans 4.16, Therefore the promises comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's, Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. See, faith is a way of life for God's people. Faith is like this lifelong journey of walking with the Lord Consistently, left foot, right foot, left foot, straightforward, consistently. Faith isn't something you just get when you first choose to trust Jesus for your salvation. We do start in faith, but scripture, scripture tells us that no one can come to God unless they hand themselves over to him and trust in his gifts of forgiveness and repentance and acceptance, all of it purchased through the blood of Jesus on, on the cross. Faith is not just something you get at the beginning of your Christian life or only when you're young. As the prophet Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 2.4, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Many translations say, but the righteous person will live by his faith. Abraham was 75 years old when he was called by God to leave his home, his relatives, his community, and his possessions and to travel to a destination that was completely unknown to him. At the age of 75, he was called to trust God. See, Abraham wasn't done with faith after he first met God. He wasn't done with faith after he first gave himself over to God. God kept asking him to continue to believe in his specific season of life. Whatever age you are, it does not matter. God continues to ask you at your specific point in life to be open to risk yet again to be open to change, to be available to him. Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch Nazi resistor, took a risk to write a letter to one of her guards at Ravensbrück concentration camp many years after the war had ended. Corrie advocated reconciliation and forgiveness as a means to heal the psychological scars left by the Nazi occupation. Last Sunday's reading in our Lenten devotional had in it a portion of the letter she sent to the guard. It was last Sunday's reading if you want to look at it. Listen to this. This is what Corey wrote. Dear sir, today I learned that most probably you are the one who betrayed me. I went through 10 months of concentration camp. My father died after nine days of imprisonment. My sister died in prison. The harm you planned has turned into good for me by God. I came nearer to him. 
A severe punishment is awaiting you. I have prayed for you that the Lord may accept you if you will repent. Think that the Lord Jesus on the cross also took your sins upon himself. If you accept this and want to be his child, you are saved for eternity. I have forgiven you everything. God will also forgive you everything if you ask him. He loves you. He loves you and he himself sent his son to earth to reconcile your sins, which meant to suffer the punishment for you and me. You on your part have to give me an answer to this. If he says, come unto me, give me your heart, then your answer must be, yes, Lord, I come, make me your child. Can you imagine writing that letter to a guard in a concentration camp where you know your dad and your sister had passed away because of it? See, it's always a risk to reach out and forgive, but we're commanded to do it, aren't we? During this Lenten season, are there unfinished acts of forgiveness that you need to complete? Absolutely, it's risky, but it is so worth it. This past August, I turned 52 years old. I've been pastoring since 1997, and I've been here in MP Naz for the last six months as senior pastor. Like Abraham, God is calling me at my age, and he is calling you at your age to take risks yet again. In this season of life, God is calling us all to an obedient faith. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And then as we look back to the original Old Testament story, we see this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham took God at his word. He understood that God was the boss, that God was the leader, and that life only works when we obey the Lord. Amen? It's a basic lesson in faith. In fact, it's the foundation of faith. The Lord leads and we follow, not the other way around. There's nothing more fundamental than that. For years at MP Naz, God's church has been built on the understanding and belief that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church universal, and he's the head and leader of this local church, MP Naz. This has always been a church where we've strived to be a place where Jesus calls the shots. Not the pastor, not the board, not the big givers, not even the church roosters. Like Abraham, we have sought to be a people who are obedient and responsive to the voice of God. But I believe that more than ever before, it is crucial that we seek the Lord about our church's future and to try to answer several key questions. Things like, what things about MP and AS do we believe should never, ever, ever change? Some of the things that I believe should always be a part of our DNA that we should always have as a, a very, very strong commitment to. Here's just a few. Number one, submitting to the authority of the scriptures and continuing to have solid biblical preaching based on kingdom theology. Number two, engaging in effective evangelism, spiritual growth, and local missions. Number three, being a diverse church as we reach out to all races, colors, and creeds that need a place to worship. Everyone's welcome. Number four, welcoming the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And continuing to teach on holiness and the sanctification of, a, of the believer. 
Number five, having women and men serving side by side in leadership at every level of the church. Practicing unity within our local church. Unity in the body of the believers. And having prayer is the cornerstone of all we do here at MP NAS. See, the future of MP NAS has been the subject of literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of prayer by folks right here in this church. You want to know how I know that? Because you've told me. As I said before, we have always believed and have tried the best we can to practice the biblical truth that Jesus is the head of the church, not us. And we have sought and resought the leading of the Holy Spirit through every single step that we've taken as a church. And over the next five to ten years, we will need Abraham-like faith. We need Abraham's modeling faith. We need Abraham's responsive faith. And finally, we need Abraham's risk-taking faith. Again, Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, why would anyone, have you ever thought about this? Why would anyone choose to change what is comfortable, what is successful, what is familiar, and instead opt for what is uncomfortable, what is unfamiliar, and what is different? The only reason I know is because they have really heard from God. That's it. As I mentioned in the beginning of this message, faith is spelled R-A-S-K, risk. The reality is, as long as a bird stays in its nest, it doesn't know the wonder of flight. As long as a kid clings to the edge of the pool, they'll never know the exhilaration of having the water hold them up as they swim. As long as we have a death grip on the familiar, on the safe, on the comfortable, we will never know what God would do if only we had said yes to him. Can you say, can you say that one time in my life I took a major risk because of Jesus? Can you say for once I didn't play it safe, I jumped on God's adventure and I never looked back? Can you say that? At some point, your faith needs to be tested. At some point, the faith of this, the faith of this church needs to be tested. You see, if you knew 100% that what you're currently doing will completely work out the way you want it to, well... There's not much faith in that, now is there? There's risk in almost everything we do. Single people. There's a risk anytime you ask someone out that you're interested in, right? I can remember back to that time, barely. You may get turned down. There's a risk that they won't give you the phone number. There's, there's a risk to our egos that you'll feel rejected. But if you don't ask, there's zero chance you'll ever get a yes. You'll never know what a relationship with this other person would have been like. Maybe you're unhappy with your job. There's a risk in applying for new jobs. You might not feel like you have all the qualifications or that you're the smartest or the brightest one out there or that you're really, really suited for the job you're applying for. But if you don't risk, you'll stay unhappy in your job and you'll keep being miserable and you'll keep right on complaining and nobody wants to hear it, right? There's a risk when you're the first one to say to someone, I love you. You ever done that? They might not say it back, but you'll never know what it feels like to love someone else and then have them love you back. There's a risk in admitting that you made a mistake, admitting that you were wrong. How many of you are good at admitting you're wrong? I probably should put my hand down. <laughs> the most insecure people in the world are recognized by one thing. They will never, ever, ever admit they were wrong. 
they will always double down on you. See, it's not strength that causes a person to refuse to admit they're wrong. It's weakness because they're afraid of being vulnerable. See, the person who never admits to ever being wrong is afraid of giving power over to someone else, the power to disapprove of them, and we don't want that. There's a risk in considering accepting a call into ministry. Abraham was called to leave his father's house to abandon everything familiar. See, those who accept a call into ministry are choosing to walk in obedience to God, are choosing to push all their chips to the center of the table, and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to take a risk, Lord. You're faithful. You won't let me down. I trust you. And the risk can also change, especially when we get off the familiar path, right? When we take the road less traveled, when we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable for a while, there's a risk in change. You know, MP Naz has long been a church that's willing to risk change as we follow God's leadership. We took the risk of change when our church was organized by Harry Lee over 112 years ago. I looked up the history of this church. Harry and the other pastors over the years believed that joining a movement that welcomed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would be an amazing cornerstone for our church that was formed in the Church of the Nazarene. And what has God been? He's been faithful over those years, amen? Come on, church. Took a risk of change when we followed the leadership of Jesus, moved buildings a few times over that 112 years. We believed that the Lord would grow the church as we moved and invested and we built, and God was faithful. Took a risk of change when it wasn't real popular with the greater evangelical church as we promoted women to be pastors and church planners and elders and leaders. We believed that Jesus was leading us to unleash the calls of women, and God was faithful. Took a risk of change when as a largely insular church, we followed the leadership of Jesus and made a series of very deliberate decisions to break down community walls and become a church that reached out to our community. We started doing Mission Sundays to work alongside our friends and neighbors. We annually reached out to our community through things like Trunk or Treat, and we reached out through community efforts to feed the kids of T County through Tough Bags. MP Naz believed that this could be an example of God's reconciling power to our community. And God was faithful. One of the hallmarks of this church is our openness to community involvement. It's one of the major things that attracted me to this church. We risked change as we followed the leadership of Jesus to model a fuller gospel, not just a, a gospel of saving souls, which was primary, but also a healing and helping, uh, one of healing and helping people in all areas of life. We started to host Friends of the Homeless dinners and serving turkey dinners to those who had very little on Thanksgiving. We became a church that offered people in our community basic hygiene items through our hygiene pantry. Toothbrushes, toothpaste, soap, deodorant, minor medical supplies, combs, other basic toiletries, and God bless those around us. Over the next few years, over the next few decades, I believe that God is leading us to change yet again. Leading us to pick up our tents like Abraham and move out so we can be more available to him to reach new people, younger people, Unchurched people, older people, people who look different than us, people who are far, far, far from God. Do you believe that, church? <clears throat> Folks, faith is spelled R-A-S-K, risk. Will you join me in following Jesus and taking this risk with me? Would you pray with me? I'd like to take just a few minutes of quiet and prayer 
to mull over what God may be saying to us individually about where God might be challenging us to take a risk. Maybe a place where you've been playing it safe in your life and you know that God's calling you to do something else. So I'm just gonna take a minute of quiet prayer and let you speak to the Lord. Father, I thank you for uh, a timely message with us individually, as families, whether it's with our, our jobs or it's with our community, with our neighbors, or it's with our church. Father, we are such a risk-averse crowd. We, we like it to be comfortable. We, we like things to go along smoothly, and, and when your spirit comes and points out things that we need, maybe need to step out in faith and move forward, even when we don't know how it's gonna end up, but we feel your voice and we feel your thumb on our back to move. Even when it, it doesn't make sense to those who count the money, whether it's in the church or it's in, in, the, uh, in your home or it's at your job or whatever, Father, sometimes faith is the vehicle. Sometimes you're tapping us on the shoulder to do things that don't make much sense. Father, would you help us to be able to hear your voice? To be sure, it's your voice that's asking us to move forward. And chances are, when you're asking us to do something that is something we would never dream of moving forward with that we think is well outside our ability or capacity to do, that's usually you tapping us on the shoulder and saying, this is something you need to think about. This is something I need you to do. Father, we thank you for those moments when the Holy Spirit challenges us. Would you help us not to miss those divine appointments, those times when you ask us to step out because for whatever reason you're asking us to do that, whether it's somebody on the other side that needs you or whatever the reason that is. Would you help us as we look for the avenues that you're preparing for us here as, as a church here at MP Naz? Would you help us have the courage and the, the ability, the, the want to, to move forward when you ask us to move. Not to think about it, not to debate it to death, but to move when you ask us to move. We love you. We only want what you want. This church is, a, is your church, it's a Jesus church. It will always be a Jesus church. Help us to act like it. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen and amen. You know, as we leave here, I want you to take some time this week to really kind of chew on this, this, this thought of faith and, and risk and how they interchange and what that means for you individually, as a family, as a church, okay? God bless you. You are so loved. Have a fantastic week. You're dismissed.